Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your host, Stephanie Holland, alongside our moderator, Lee Procopio, with Consultant 360. In the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, burnout among healthcare providers and patients is a source of concern for many. The first step to preventing and managing burnout is to have a robust understanding of how and why burnout occurs. Therefore, to restore resilience, one must begin with the biology of burnout. This was the topic topic of a session recently presented at the American Academy of Pediatrics 2021 conference. Session presenter Heather Forkey, MD, is here with us today to answer our questions on burnout and resilience. Dr. Forkey is a pediatrician at UMass Memorial Health. Thank you for taking the time to answer our questions today, Dr. Forkey. To begin, could you give us a brief overview of your session? Sure. So the topic is uh, officially about the biology of burnout and remedies to restore resilience. And the discussion is really intended to think about, can we shift this conversation? That when we talk about burnout, and one issue is that we're sort of kind of talking about maybe a couple of things at the same time, not just burnout, which has a very particular definition as being, you know, overwhelmingly exhausted and cynical and ineffective. And there are probably some other symptoms that we can have go along with that in terms of exhaustion and feeling forgetful and frequently ill and depressed. But in this conversation, we actually are often overlapping with probably some secondary traumatic stress, which is associated with, but not exactly the same as burnout. And that's really the emotional distress from hearing about the firsthand experiences of another. There's some other terms that kind of also get mixed up there. Vicarious traumatization, which may be sort of another term for secondary trauma, moral distress, which is maybe a component of this. And people come to medicine with their own experiences and exposures throughout their lifetime. So I think the first piece of the discussion is let's separate out what these different things are and how we think about it. And then the second part of the discussion really is around the idea that the the suggestions related to burnout and secondary trauma have traditionally focused on doing self-care. You know, as I talk about it, you know, people say, find some work-life balance, do yoga and eat kale. And, you know, that's, that's kind of the way you should go. But, you know, I, I think more recently people have begun to say, okay, are there organizational factors that can play in? And those organizational factors have started to be looked at. There's been impacts related to use of electronic medical records and um, redundancies, trying to have people work to, the, to their license and be efficient in teams. But all of that, I think, comes together as, in terms of thinking about what we're, we're in medicine, right? And, and yet we never talk about these in terms of what physiologically, what is happening to people in these situations. And I, my day job is that I work with kids who are in foster care and who have suffered from abuse and neglect. And I think about trauma and the stress response. And that's where I think we might want to start to think about what's going on for people because we humans have a range of stress responses. There's freeze and fight or flight, which most people have heard of. But we as humans are actually not that efficient with those. You know, if we freeze and there's a predator, we're so big that we might get eaten. And if we try to run or fight, we're not actually that good at it because we don't have claws and we can't hide underwater. So the stress response that humans use most effectively is called the affiliate response, which is people look left and right and they say, are there humans here who can help me deal with this threat? And if there are people who can help you, your stress drops and you manage the threat. And 
if you look left and right and there are not people who can help you, your stress rises. And now you have to deal with all the, the people who won't help you or who are coming at you and you have to deal with the original threat. So you get this upregulation and turning on a fight or flight that never gets turned off. Anyway, I think that actually can be very informative as we talk about what's going on in terms of burnout, secondary trauma, or however you want to name what's going on, because ultimately medicine is about dealing with threat all day, every day. And in the days gone by, we actually worked with colleagues in a, in a much more collegial way, but modern medicine has sort of isolated us and COVID-19 has severely isolated us. And now we see this rising. So the ability to use that affiliate response kind of goes away. We're left only with fight or flight. And when we think about these symptoms, they really are over or dysregulation of the stress response. Okay. Yeah, that was wonderful. So what are some best practices for preventing and managing burnout? So I think if you begin to think about if this is related to this dysregulation of the stress response and this inability to use the most effective affiliate response, how do we turn that back on? How do we get back to using the affiliate response, which is to reach out to other people and say, hey, can you help me deal with this? And that comes from some individual practices. And I think there's some things that we can do ourselves, but It also relies on having leadership and organizations that focus on supporting those interrelationships among team members and kind of promoting caring about each other, cultivating teamwork, not just for efficiency, but so that we so that we support each other in the stress of this work. And then inspiring people to do their best work is also a a form of tend and befriend. So the affiliate response is also called tend and befriend. And what a great term, right? Because it says we're going to reach out and tend each other and kind of be there for each other so that we can manage these stressors in a much healthier way. And so moving back toward those pieces as we can and away from things that are so isolating may be a way forward. Okay, great. So how can healthcare providers restore resilience, either in the face of the COVID-19 pandemic or in general? So there are some things that people can do individually in thinking about the stress response. I mean, one of it is recognizing that stress responses are normal. I think there's some pathologizing of this that makes people feel like I'm the only one, that this is not a normal reaction. Knowing that you're having a normal reaction to stressful circumstances or even abnormally stressful circumstances during COVID is somewhat comforting. I'm not having something abnormal happen. I'm having a normal response to an abnormal situation. Recognizing the physical cues of that stress response, the knot in your stomach, your heart racing, thinking about when you have handled stress in the past and know that you have managed stressful things and you can do it. And if we can kind of focus on what you want to accomplish and your intention and in reaching out to others in those moments, Instead of pulling in and away from people, but staying connected, even if it's tough to to do that more purposefully. I think the second issue is to think about the role of, as I mentioned, leaders. And there's some interesting uh, literature that's come out more recently on how leaders can promote uh, wellness in and what it boils down to is doing just these things, thinking about inclusion, keeping people informed humble inquiry, asking about not bringing a lot of ego to the table, but sort of saying, hey, we're all in this together. How can we manage this together? Thinking about the skills of the individuals who are part of teams and 
capitalizing on those skills so that the gaps are filled in, right? So if you are skilled in one area and my partner is skilled in another, that we're not constantly trying to work alone in the areas that we're not as good at, but working together. And that empowers not just the individuals, but the whole team. There's also sort of a recognition that people in medicine, particularly in pediatric, want to be compensated, but we're not all about the extrinsic rewards, but much more about intrinsic motivators and focusing on on those because that again promotes this affiliate response and this ability to kind of work with each other to decrease our stress and to kind of come together around the the challenges. So my next question is, in your opinion, what needs to happen in order to reduce the burnout rate, either to pre-COVID-19 levels or just in general? So I think here's where I kind of have looked at kind of, we see this burnout rate rising, rising, rising. And so what's happening in parallel to the rise of burnout? And what you see is a rise in people kind of having to focus on doing the work all by themselves, right? So we just take the example of where I work. We used to see patients and really focus on our patients. And now I have an electronic medical record. I can't even look at the patient because I'm in, in an effort to to not spend all day, every day doing notes. I am trying to get some of that accomplished. So I'm not creating that same affiliate support for my patient. I'm not, to them, it may not feel like I'm physically present. That diminishes their ability to feel safe and secure in the setting with me. You know, they're reaching out to me seeking affiliate support. And if they can't get it in that interaction, well, they may sort of have more of a fight or flight reaction that may make those interactions more negative Now I used to go out of the room and sit in a group setting with other providers and write notes and bounce questions off of them. But we don't do that because we're all working again on this electronic medical record alone. We go back to our own offices and sit alone. We used to have conferences where we all got together. Now we go and we do anything conference-wise, we do it electronically and we sit again in our own offices. We may be even doing telehealth all by ourselves in our homes and trying to kind of get things done electronically. The other thing is that in order for us to feel safe, there's a a process called neuroception, whereby we draw in information, but we're not conscious that we're looking for safety. It's just happening in our lower brain. How that happens is by perceiving auditory cues, like tone of voice. It's a lot of it happens through looking at facial cues and trying to see is, is this safe? Is this person going to help me? Can they, can I draw them in, in an affiliate way masked and on an electronic format? Those same cues are much harder for me to perceive. And so I have this underlying, it's an uncomfortableness. Our bodies are not able to perceive safety as easily. And so many people recognize that they're more fatigued at the end of the day of Zooming or of doing telehealth than they would be with interacting with humans. And in part, that's related. What needs to happen in order to reduce burnout, or at least to pre-COVID levels, is we need to be with other humans again. We need to get to, a you know, as we can get back to looking at people in the face and not through a mask, as we can get to having human interactions, as we can get back to conferences with other humans and not with our computers you know, I think that that's part of what supports that affiliate response. But I think also thinking intentionally as an organization about, are we doing things in the name of efficiency that ultimately, because they increase provider sense of a lack of safety, patient lack of sense of safety, does it wind up being less efficient in the long run? Should we be thinking about ways where we can put people into physical connections and group work in a more intentional way? With leadership, 
who is aware that this is not just a nice side effect, but this is a primary goal of leading teams. Okay. So my final question is, what are the key takeaways from your session? For people to consider um, some practical ways to promote that affiliate response in themselves and in others. What happens sometimes is that as we become stressed, we pull in to ourselves and that's going to spin and cause you to have more fight or flight reactions and less affiliate responses. So thinking intentionally, are there opportunities for you to reach out to others to build that, that sense of community and team in your setting? Can we begin to look at leadership in our, in our settings? You know, we, we tend to promote people who are good at research or good at things that are not necessarily people skills, but can we begin to train people around supporting teams, supporting this development of individuals and, and thinking about others in this team format and celebrate and reward leaders for doing that well. And then I think also thinking about what else in your life outside of work will help you promote affiliate response, right? So it's not just yoga and kale. It is those relationships with others that allow you to decrease your stress response in a very practical way. And I think sometimes we forget about the fact that we are being impacted, not just at work, but as COVID-19 has kept us from people we love, our friends, our ability to affiliate outside of work, do we need to be more intentional about reestablishing those connections and getting back to some of those things that may have fallen off of our plate into ourselves during COVID-19? Great. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Forky. And for our listeners, catch up with all of our episodes at consultant360.com slash podcast. Stay tuned for more.